Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening y'all? Today, I have the pleasure of having Van Sturgeon here in the lab with me. That's right, the man in the flesh, Van the Reno man is here with us. And today you're dialing in from Toronto, am I correct? That is correct, Ruben. Thank you very much for having me and, I, and I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you. So uh, yeah, it's gonna be great stuff. Absolutely. So first I got to set presence here. You know, I got I to put things into context because, you know, you've done such great work and, you know, we were just talking about this offline, but when we talk about the experimenter, you're an embodiment of an experimenter. And that's who we choose to have here in the lab. Why? Because you have such a, a broad uh, a knowledge of real estate across the board from land development, land uh, acquisition, subdivisions, custom homes, construction, renovation, single family, multifamily, right? So we always love to find out, especially with a guy like you, which experiment you started with first. And of course, I almost left out general contractor. And this is one of the things that you, you're very passionate about because you're able to really help people with their uh, fresh re renovations, et cetera, which we will get into. But I got to ask you, when I look at this, you know, you know, a, this, this portfolio that you have of over a thousand units, you know, the successful businesses that you have within, which I'm excited to talk about because I love vertically integrated businesses, I got to ask you, Van, which one, which experiment fell into your lab first to help us kind of re rewind and come full circle to how you've been able to embellish such a wonderful and such a well-established uh, career in the real estate industry? Well, I, I, I was born and raised in Chicago and I got thrown into the business uh, growing up. Uh, my parents uh, were, you know, immigrants to the country. And uh, they were scurrying around trying to save up as many dollars as they could and to buy their dream home. We lived in a one bedroom apartment down on North side of Chicago with my little brother. And uh, as they were uh, saving up their money, they came across this whole, uh, this, this opportunity to buy an apartment building that we were living in. And so they put their, uh, their monies together and borrow some from family and they put the down payment to purchase this apartment building. And that happened in the late 70s. And in the course of uh, buying that building, it was, it was uh, at the time a great opportunity because it was fully occupied. The numbers made sense. But in the late 70s, things started to change in the economy. There was a mass migration outside, out of the city into the suburbs. And all of a sudden, this building that was fully occupied started to suffer vacancy. And you started to get that criminal element and all that kind of stuff coming in, drug dealers and stuff. It got to the point where it got so bad where there was landlords who couldn't hold on to their properties and were literally on purpose torching them they would they would they would turn their they would light up their buildings and uh, collect insurance money because they couldn't hold on because you need to have a you need to have an occupied building in order to be able to pay pay your bills and pay your mortgage so this is what uh, I, I can walk on i can i can recall the buildings that so many of them that were just in our neighborhood that went up in flames so in the midst of that we were forced to as a family have to do everything that we could to be able to survive whether there's painting cleaning toilets roof uh, replacing the carpet, cleaning, whatever it took for us to be able to survive and hold on to that investment, we did. And as a family, we were able to get through that difficult period of time, but it gave me a basis of experience on, you know, repairs and contracting and doing the little things from replacing an art, uh, electrical outlet to a light fixture, whatever it took. 
And uh, so we were able to get out of that period of time. Things uh, started to get uh, better and it was turned out to be a great investment for my parents. I went off to university, graduated, came back and I had aspirations uh, of being a lawyer, but I really enjoyed uh, general contracting and construction and renovation. And so I broke the news to my parents that I wasn't interested in pursuing that. And I went off to Chicago and I started my general contracting business. I started hustling and knocking on doors, talking to people, trying to get, uh, get work. And then over that period of time, I, I started developing that business. I started creating relationships with people. And I kept running into or seeing the same individuals uh, that were buying these properties. Um, there were real estate investors. These are people that would either flip properties or do buy and hold strategies. Um, and, and it was through that expo being exposed with that. And in addition to the experience I had with my, my family, my parents, um, I started to branch off and do it out of my own. So at one hand, I had this general contracting business that I was, uh, I was, uh, I was developing and it was growing. And at the same time, I started dabbling, flipping homes. And that was, I got started in the, my first flip was in 1991. And the amount of money that I made, Ruben, from that one flip, pretty much in that five-minute period that I did that flip, from the time I bought it to selling it, I generated uh, $30,000, somewhere in that range, which was roughly the average salary that somebody would make for the whole year. Yeah. So I was really sucked into this. That this, is a, this is really an opportunity to be able to create some real wealth. And I, I, did, I, I can't say that I planned all of this. It, it was just something that I, I, I always tell people that, um, you know, I get young folks that come up to me and they, they struggle to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And one of the, I keep stressing to them that I, I, I'm a believer in the universe of God. And I believe that everybody has been blessed with a very minimum, at least one gift, something that you're really, really good at. And for some people, it might be baking. It might be for some people singing. For some people, it might be taking photographs. For me, it was construction and renovation. I was really good at that. I'm a great problem solver. I can see beyond walls and understand where things go and what, what needs to you know, correct issues and problems. And I'm passionate. I love it. I love properties. I love buildings. Yeah. And so I, uh, for me, walking into the business and being a general contractor was natural for me. And then moving into real estate investing uh, was just a natural progression. And then through that, developing that portfolio, I, I, I would stumble into things. So after my, I think it was 90th door that I was able to accumulate, it got to the point where why am I, I, I why am I paying a job, uh, like a property manager? Why don't I create my own property management company? And because of the relationships that I had in the industry with other real estate investor portfolios, it was naturally, it was natural for them to bring those portfolios over to me because oftentimes they didn't want the issues associated with property, like the managing their their portfolios or they had too many you know if you only got 20 30 doors it doesn't it's not worthwhile mm. for you to to have a property management company but so that's where it started things started to do to progress and then from there i would have properties that i would acquire that had excess land and so uh, i got into subdividing uh, so there would be if there was one house with an extraordinary lot i would subdivide it and all of a sudden i got I would, I would have two more lots in addition to the, to the house that I had. And so I would be able, then I got into construction, building a home on that. And so you can see how things developed into I love that. custom homes, subdivisions. Yeah. And yeah, so I've been very, like, I, there've been bumps along the way. And I've, I have, uh, I have, um, 
I've been, I've been blessed, definitely been blessed. And I've been, I'm very thankful for everything that I've had, but it hasn't been an easy road. I've made my share of mistakes and tumbles along the way. I've sought out coaching and mentorship and books. I, you, I, you name it, I've done it. And I've always deferred to try to get, I've always believed in folks doing everything they could to make the investment in themselves before they do anything else. A lot of folks will run out and want to buy their property quickly, hurry. No, 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 no. Don't make that investment in a property. First, make that investment in yourself. And once you've been able to get that and you're fully confident and have the skill set to be able to get out there, that's when you go out and you start making, you know, start making moves and, and, and start growing a portfolio. Wow, you left so many gems in there that I want to unpack for a second. Um, so first of all, I want to highlight that I love that you said natural progression because, you know, I just had this conversation uh, with a young lady from, she was in Hong Kong, actually, we're just talking about like progression of our businesses. And, you know, one of the things that I had said was that, you know, very few businesses, you know, have success from just that first, oh yeah, this is what it's going to be. What happens is you get on that road and then once you start traveling on that road, you end up identifying either things that you're really good at, opportunities along the way, decide to take an exit, decide to carpool with somebody, like whatever the thing is. But until you get on that road, those things won't happen and you won't see those things. So, you know, but, you know, with that said, I want to take a step back because you said investment in yourself. And I want to kind of just rewind a little bit because you had taken uh, the, the the path of of someone who, you know, who, who, who saw his environment and wanted to, you know, create a better life. You want to get, get, you know, to law school, et cetera. I want to cover that gap while you were, you know, because you went from being in Chicago, seeing, fixing things around the home to survive. And, and, and that, I don't know, did that plant something there? Did that plant the seed or was that just normal as a kid? You grew up, didn't even think about real estate, went to law school. And then that bug came back again. Can you talk about that little? Sure. Uh, I don't think it's a little gap. It's a large gap between being a child and university. So I'm kind of curious as to what was happening in your mind uh, between now and then, if you can recall. Absolutely. No, no, no. I, and that's a great question. And actually, it's, it's a question that I don't think anybody's really asked. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very uh, honest with you. Like, uh, it was a really difficult and miserable time in those late 70s, early 80s. It was, it was palpable. And in that, in, in, it was when you have that experience where your father and mother are, are struggling, it really, it really, it really hits you and you can feel it. They didn't have to say anything. You can see it in their eyes in their mannerisms and actions. There was a, uh, there was a, I remember one Christmas where there was enough money and there was no, there were no presents underneath the Christmas tree. It was, it was that dire. There was times where it was tough. And so when I coming out of that experience, on one hand, it was positive in that I learned a whole bunch of stuff. It was kind of negative. It was something that I really, uh, at the time, did not want to, I, I wanted to disassociate, disassociate myself from it. And that's when I went off to go high school, university. And it's in the midst of going through that university is when I started to understand that even though this, there were some negative elements associated with that, there's a lot of also positive that I saw in it as well. I'm naturally a problem solver. I'm naturally a person as a kid growing up would grab something, break it apart and put it back together again and try to understand how it worked. And buildings are structures that are components. They're a variety of different components that you put together in order to build something. And so I, I've always had that desire and I still do. Like I love tearing into things and understanding how they work. And, and, and construction was part of that. So 
on one hand, it was negative, but then I was able to draw with the positive out of it. And that's the reason why I decided to move forward uh, in that direction. I, I really enjoyed. There's times when, Ruben, I stare at, I find myself staring at, and I have my wife tap me or, or, or you know, somebody or one of my people tap me on the shoulder. Is everything okay? I'm, so, I'm stuck memorized, mesmerized looking at my buildings or my properties. I love the structures and the nuances and the details associated with it, from the roof pitches to the caulking to the to the windowsill and you know this like I just love looking at it. I'm admired by it. I'm I'm amazed by how this thing has been built up and I own it and it's mine. I don't yeah. know. I like it's no. That's that's. A, that's a I, I don't problem. know if that makes any sense, but it, yeah. I I I really truly feel. Uh, I, I enjoy looking at the structure and knowing that it's mine, but just the way it's put together, so I find it fascinating and amazing. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I guess. The- well, I guess one of the things, the gaps I want to cover is during the time between uh, when you went to school and whatnot. Because I think where I'm trying to get here is sometimes you're on this path and you're like, you know, this is the path that I'm doing. But I'm, I'm curious as to if there was always that 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 genius and that that thing that was tapping your shoulder that you just weren't listening to until you started really listening to it and this is just going a little layer deeper but i'm curious because there might be some listeners in a position where they're doing one thing maybe even because they're really good at it and i know you talk a lot about you know how you didn't have that fulfillment and i'm just curious for someone who's in that stage if they just need to tap into that if they find themselves let's say staring at something or spending more time trying to get pulled into another direction i'm just very curious as to how you if you actually experienced that or if it was kind of a change of, of you said you know that's it I want to do a, a drastic change in my life where you kind of felt it while you were still in school and while you're you know, growing up I I felt it I felt it um it was a summer before uh my final year of the university where I had to make a decision it was a summer that I spent in I was in Chicago and it, I remember walking around trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life and then I started to sort of break it down and understand what I was looking for, what, what, what made me happy? What was I, what was I keenly interested in? And it came around to yeah, th- this whole idea of constructing and renovations. Uh, and that's the direction I decided to go on. And, and then I don't know if that makes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I had that, uh, yeah, I totally. had that epiphany. I can't, like, I, yeah. I, I, I had that epiphany because it was a difficult a conversation to have with my family because oh, absolutely that's what you know, they, they yeah. had you know they wanted to see like every parent's desire is to see their kid with the suit and tie and either be a lawyer doctor one of those types of things and i had my opportunity i got accepted to law school and i didn't and i had to have that difficult conversation with them and explain to them uh so it was that summer where i yeah i did some soul searching and i came up with this thing that i really enjoyed this and i had this level of experience that that I that I wanted to tap into and continue to uh, I thought it was I thought it, it made me happy it made me happy that's, that, that's good so so let's fast forward you said a key word and I appreciate you kind of taking us a step back a little bit because I think that can help depending on what level you're on if to you know if there's that tap is there's that itch to kind of go for it uh, I think that's important but you got to be able you got to be present and aware have that awareness to listen to it but let's fast forward you talk about self education so I want to go into that you said you're you're really, you're really good at it. And clearly you are not only with what you've been able to do for yourself, but now where you're getting that fulfillment later in your career, when you can help others kind of see that light as well. Let's talk about the investing yourself. If I have a genius, maybe it's, it's, you know, very similar to you and I have that touch. What was that lowest hanging fruit next step? Because I love how you talk about the natural progression, which we're going to get into with, you could kind of see it in your trajectory, but what was the first thing for you? Like, I'm getting my GC license. I'm going to start reading books. What was that next step when you made that decision? I'm getting out of law school. 
I'm going to do this thing. And now I kind of have to educate myself a little bit more on it. What was, what did that look like for you? And maybe what would you have changed? Well, I, I, what I, at the time was I, I had the, I had the coming out of university, I had the luxury of being able to still live with my parents. So yeah. it wasn't like I, I had to go had that additional expense of, of a, of a house or an apartment or a family or somebody, uh, sorry, a wife that I had or kids that I had to deal with. So when you're at that age and you're, and you're, you know, you, you can, you can run pretty lean. And I guess that gave me sort of an opportunity to be able to go in and learn along, learn in the process while I'm engaged in it. So I would be able to price out things more competitively, more aggressively than others who are in the business because they have much more overhead than I. So in the midst of doing that, I learned business on the fly. And I had that luxury because I didn't have the overhead that some other businesses had. Yeah. Um, I can't say that there, I, I did not. Uh, and at the time, this is a long, long time ago, Ruben. They didn't have at the time courses or certifications. Biggerpockets.com. No, I wasn't no, there. The forums any, weren't there. No, they didn't have any Man. of those types of things. What a so, time to be alive, huh? Well, you know what? It's, it's you know, some respects, it's good and bad that uh, we have the internet. It's, it's oh, good because there's a lot of information out there, Are you but gonna, it's also bad. I'm, I'm glad you went there. You're, you're going to say, and I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I'm so glad you hit this. You're, you're going to say analysis paralysis. Is that what you mean? Yes. Where you, fi- you find, and I'm so glad you're saying this because sometimes not knowing, I don't know if you would agree with me, is, is even better than knowing too much information, like too many risks which is evidently going to stop you. That's what happens to people sometimes where maybe they're in too deep. They're like, I'm not taking that. That's too expensive. I'm not like, cause they have these old beliefs or they have too much knowledge and maybe it's not the right knowledge. Um, and, and so that's interesting that you say that. So I guess with you, without the internet, without bigger pockets, shout out to biggerpockets.com. I know a lot of you guys know that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what was next? Did you tap into somebody in the neighborhood? Was- I, even back, to, well, I'm, the reason why I, I brought that up, I'm going to go a little bit further. And I'm going to say to you that it's a, it was a blessing not to have the internet back then because you, then you were forced to reach out and find associations, physical people, mm. physical relationships you had to create with people to get more insight and knowledge. Yes, you had your share of books back then that you could pick up and read. But if you really want to get intimate knowledge about what the hell, what, you know, to put this pieces together, you had to join your local real estate investment association, which existed back then. There were opportunities uh, to be able to network with real estate investors, real estate agents, and all of a sudden create that, you know, that power team of people that you can glean information from. Right now, unfortunately, with the internet, we have this information at our fingertips. And it's nice to watch a YouTube video of me, or you know, talking about how to renovate your property or, or, or do this or do that, but it misses the ability for you to be able to ask questions because not everybody processes of information at the same time. There's only so much that a course can go so far in terms of delivering results. And a one-on-one opportunity to be able to engage is something that uh, well, should cost you more, but it's actually much more beneficial because it gives you an opportunity to be able to ask some intimate questions that you'll that you'll definitely come across yeah so that's interesting so you went to those uh you know and i'm gonna help us kind of tie this together so you went to those um associations etc why gc is that did that come in first or would the flip come first was it the general contracting that came or was it the flip that came first 
No, no, no. I was I was a general contractor. Uh, I started in 88, 89, and I started, uh, I was out there on a hustle, and I started, and I was developing relationships, and in 1991 was my first flip, and wow. um, and that's, that came from, again, from the experiences that I, from the, from seeing these guys. And I'm an inquisitive kind of person. I would ask questions about how much they bought, how much back then, back then it was not easy to get information, Ruben. Back then for me to go get the listings for, you know, the area and he, they, they would produce, the real estate board would produce books. These books would be this big and then we released them depending on where, when, where you were every Thursday. And then if you're really serious into the game, you would go to your local real estate broker, agent, whatever, stand there, wait for them to come hot off the presses and you would grab your book and you would go, there were sections for, for things for sale, for rent. And you would go there and you try to get, that was what we were dealing with. And it was, the access to information was more, much more restricted, but also the opportunities existed. There's more opportunities back then because of that too, right? Really? So, why, do you, why do you say that? I'm curious. You, well, why because, do you say there was more opportunities? There was more opportunities because the access of information wasn't as readily available as it is today. Oh, right so now, it's almost like weeding them out. Yes. Oh, yes. No. If I had to go Man, grab, awesome. a, get in line to grab hot off the press, literally a book and go through it versus me going to Zillio, boop, boop, boop. And I, in 30 seconds, I can show you, I can go into an area and give you comparables. I can, I can immediately decipher through the internet where what's cheaper, what's more expensive. I can find out what the taxes are, all that kind of stuff. You didn't have that information back then. So this is interesting, Van, because to me, I, I didn't even think we were going to go there. So this is why I love doing this. So I was going to say, and I'm still going to say this, that it makes, you know, when you look back, you know, and a guy like you in the you know, 80, 80s and the 90s, you know, you'll, you want to tip your hat and I'm doing it right now to you for the hustle and grit that it takes to get to where you are today because a very different animal, right? Uh, but then what's also interesting is with that hard work, you also are playing in a smaller pool because people aren't willing to do that kind of work. Is that, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. What I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go even further. I'm going to say that the good old days were easier than they are right now. Stop it. Ruben. Say that one more time. Ruben, it's the good old, this is so interesting. Why, why do you say that? Bring it home. I, I'm going to tell you why. Because uh, the, cost of, uh, the cost associated with you going to go and get the inf uh, information, information is a, is a commodity. And information mm. costs money. And if you're and if uh, and for you to be able to go on the internet and get it for free versus you going out there, then 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 it's 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 difficult for people to be able to grab that. And and in 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 the good old days, it was difficult for people to grab that. So as a result, it acted as its own filter, its own it differentiated yeah. us. You know the wow. ones that are on the hustle from not versus now everybody can be a hustler, and so you got a lot more people coming into the game than before. Wow. That being said, now that being said. Deals exist all around us every single day. Never use that as an excuse. It might no, be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And times, you know, ebbs and flows happen in the well, marketplace. Well, it levels out the playing field. And I want to interrupt you, but it levels out the playing field because there's more technology now. So it's, it evens out the playing field. Would you not say it? Kind of. More competition, more technology, more access. Eh, 
Where, it, where it, were you going to go with that? Bring it home. I'm sorry. I, 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 no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm talking, I, I, uh, again, my, I come from a philosophy and I see it. I, I don't struggle for, uh, in getting deals every single day. I, I, my inbox, my, my email inbox is filled with opportunities, but the, for the person walking into the industry for the mm. first time, it's easier for them back 30 years ago than it is today. I was doing Burr strategy before there was even a Burr. Uh, I, I, you know, you buy a depressed asset, you would sprinkle some renovations into it, you would force the appreciation of value, you would refinance, you go into the into your next property. Uh, that's existed. Uh, that's always existed, but the uh, but just the sheer amount of information that's out there is it's a uh, turned into is the, it's it's it decreased the value of it because there's so much of it. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You're right on the money there, Ben. So, Ben, let's let's talk about it right now. We're right in the meat and the potatoes of this. What is the biggest pain point, obstacle? I think you and I were talking about this offline with people. As soon as they say the word renovations, as soon as they say the word contractor, now it's great that we have some great context here because you're a contractor and you have that background. You've obviously evolved into doing a lot more other things than just being a contractor, but you have that context for us here in the lab. What is, what is the biggest obstacle that you hear that, you know, people are struggling with with renovations? Is it just a lack of estimates? Is it a lack of trust with a contractor? What is it out there that, that, that people are struggling with that you see as the most that you could bring here to us? Sure. The, the, what I constantly, there's a number of things I constantly hear, but the first uh, one that I can is, is uh, the lack of available contractors or tradespeople that you'll make a phone call and not, uh, very few of them will return your phone call. That's a common complaint. Um, Why is that, by the way? Well, I mean, we're right now in an overheated real estate market where there are lots of people uh, looking to renovate and improve their properties. And as such, you're going to see more uh, contractors are going to be a lot more busier now than they were three or five years ago. That being said, there are still good contractors out there available, but the issue becomes uh, you as a person reaching out to them are not reaching out to them properly for that to entice them to actually return your phone call. I'm so glad you went there. What makes you, Van, contractor hat, let's say you're in the contractor hat, I want to call you. Or if you think, what's what makes you pick up a phone call versus what makes you not pick up a phone call? So first of all, I, as a successful contractor, I have a list of clients that I service that have been giving me ongoing business. By virtue of that, I am busy. Good contractors, good people, good work in any field are busy. You're busy, Ruben, because you're good at what you do. Mm -hmm. If you're not busy, then there's an issue. So if you reach out to me outside of my network of people that I know, I'm not rushing to find out if I want to quote on your work. Now, that being said, if you present your uh, this opportunity to me in a fashion where it entices me to uh, make the investment of time and money into looking at your opportunity and pricing it, then I will go ahead and do that because there's a cost involved. There's only so many hours in a day for me to actually get, uh, I'll get 20 phone calls. Out of those 20 phone calls, 
every one of them requires time and requires money to put an estimate together for me to submit to you. Now, where am I going to where am I going to spend that time, that energy? Am I going to spend it to clientele that I have an existing relationship with, or am I going to say, uh, or this this random phone call I get out of nowhere? So I only like I get phone calls from people that come from references or from already existing clients. Number one. If you want to break through to deal with a guy like me who's a successful general contractor, you have to present yourself that you are a professional, that you that you have your all your ducks in order, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And can you give can, us some? Can you give some I's and T's and cross that would make you okay? This guy sounds like a sharp guy or gal. Sure. Uh, I, I, okay. As my position as a general contractor, mm-hmm. I would be I would receive a phone call request to price out a particular project and the project would be given to me and there would be a detailed scope of work. An actual document would arrive to my door, just like every commercial project that I've already, that I've ever bid on is mm. there's a document there that tells me what it is that we're looking to accomplish. I would have that in front of me. And immediately that would elevate me, that would have immediately elevate you on the residential side. 95% of the projects that are out there don't have anything like that. It just fly by the seat of your plants Let's grab. Uh, uh, if I came to your place, Ruben, you would grab me by your hand and we would walk around your property. You would aimlessly point at things that you want to accomplish, look at, do that. You're not sure about, mm, huh? And mm. that would really, I'd be out of there because wow. my, me as a, I'm a successful contractor because I do turnover. I mean, I go in, get my job done, and move on. And I move, I, 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 I move through projects. I, I don't, there's no money for me st- being stuck in a project waiting for you to make a decision on what color paint you want on your walls or the choice of what kind of toilets you want, because there's, you can buy a toilet for a hundred dollars. You can buy a toilet for a thousand dollars. You can, you know, how many different varieties of paint types there are not colors types. There's latex, there's acrylic, there's oil-based, you name it. There's so many varieties out there. If you don't have all that information put together, it's just not worth what I don't want to deal with you. So that's why you have, I, I have clients who come to me and they, they complain, oh, I've called 20, you know, some odd general contractors and only four of them showed up. Well, that goes to show me there's something wrong. There's a problem there. It's not because all these guys are busy. It's just because you are not prepared. You're not, these good guys, they don't want to, they don't want to waste their time and give free advice and show up. And the ones that you will track are pretty much the dodos, the ones that haven't you know, that, that are new in the business. And those are the ones you're attracting. Those are the ones that if you do decide to hire them, you're going to be hiring them at your peril. Wow. I love that. You can't make so any much, sense. No, that makes no, sense. That made so much sense. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you, you went there and, and it's so, we're so again, you know, lucky to have you in, in the lab with us because we have a good, some good context because you've been in, you're, you're an investor and also a general contractor. So, wow. Talk about the natural progression. So you've done contracting. So I guess I'll ask this because I've worked with a few, but not at a very, very deep level uh, as a general contractor. Now you're also working with other uh, subcontractors, if I'm correct. How do you make sure that those subcontractors uh, represent you well? Like what is the kind of relationship? I'm sure over time you've kind of fostered that, but what are you looking at now? Because it's a two-way street to, to, to make sure that you bring somebody underneath your leg to represent your business, your face sure. of the business. Uh, 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 Ruben, uh, uh, there are 
for there's we're always looking for that unicorn contractor tradesperson person is going to give you the best price the best quality and it's going to show up on time whenever you need them and unfortunately those types of contractors or people in general don't exist you're lucky if you get two out of the three and so yeah. when you look at an individual that you want to do business with you have to determine where they're coming from what is their what is What's the good sides and the bad sides, the good qualities, the bad qualities associated with them so that you then plug them in to that particular project that you're doing. So I, as a general contractor, I have a Rolodex of electricians, plumbers, painters, and I know what they, what they, who they are, what they are. They're small, medium, large operators, and they all add, they all bring a different set of skills or qualities to the table. If I'm looking for a project where I'm looking to be lean and mean on, I might very well go with that single operator who does good work, but is going to give you a great price, but he's going to take a lot longer than a mid-sized larger company that's going to charge you more money. But when I pick up the phone, they're there in 12, you know, they're there in two hours. And so you got to, as every, I always look at uh, whenever I want to, I'm going to sort of take a step back and look at the project in general as a real estate investor. You always have to put a goal together. What is it you're looking to accomplish in that, in that project? And then off of that project, you develop that scope of work. And then you identify the contractors, the trace people, whoever you're working business with, to be able to get you to be able to realize that goal. And so you choose people that will be able to get you the most efficiently to that goal. We'll be right back. And so if I have a rental property where time is of the essence, then I might be willing to and will be willing to pay a premium to the bigger operators. The guys are going to show up when they're supposed to show up, bang it out versus if this is my own home. Mm. If it's my own home, I'm going to be more inclined for quality and I wouldn't be so much concerned about the time, you know, that kind of stuff. So these yeah. are the things you got to always look at. Like, it's, not, oh. it, 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 it's not decisions you can make in a vacuum. There's a lot of variables yeah. involved. And, and so a lot of people just go, it's, it's always easy to just to go cheap with the cheapest guy. Yeah. You, you tender it out and you get, a, you know, you get six electricians or six contractors and you go, and it's, diff, you know, as a real estate investor, it's very hard to, to resist that temptation to go to the cheapest guy. Cause at the end of the day, this is a business we're after, right? Like uh, we're trying absolutely. to make, maximize return, our profits. Return on but investment. you gotta, you gotta really look into, you gotta really dig in and and understand who, where these quotes are coming from and make a decision and using a proper person. Wow. Would you say, you, you, what's your take on this? I'm curious. Would you say that your your general contractors are, um, what's the word I'm trying to use? Uh, use um, almost. Like when I hear the position, it's like, it's like being a GM. Like there's just so many moving pieces. Would you say the word I was looking for, and I don't know, maybe you can help me pull it out as not like taken for granted or undervalued. And like, I feel like there's, that is huge when it comes to delivering your project. Like, what do your what is your take on that? If I would say, do you feel like you, you guys, general contractors are underappreciated? I think that's the word. Okay. Um, I don't feel that I'm underappreciated with the clientele that I do business yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm able yeah. to deliver, I'm, you know, over, I don't have relationships with these people that have only lasted six months. These are six years, you know, 15 years. They, there are some guys that have been, you know, for over 20. So they understand and value what I bring to the table. And they don't even bother, create a relationship that they trust me, that they don't even bother seeking out other quotes. 
because they understand they they appreciate what I uh, you know the level of trust that they must have. I don't gouge. I do my job. I know they're what they're looking for in their particular projects, and we go out there and we bang it out. Yeah. Um, so I, I contractors. The problem here is that uh, in the in the real as real estate investors or just in general, this term contractors is is uh, is confusing the terminology. You have a contractor who's a general contractor. Then you have tradespeople. Then you have handyman. Then you have a builder. Those mm-hmm. are really pretty much the four or five that are floating out there. A general contractor's responsibility is to manage the whole project and hire trades to do the work. So trades are an electrician, a plumber, a painter. Those are trades. And all they do is paint. All they do is plumbing. All they do mm-hmm. is electrical. And oftentimes people believe that a contractor is going to do everything. And there are guys out there who will do everything, but I classify them as more like handymen than I do job contractors. Mm. Because handymen are people that know a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and a little bit of that. And they don't know the whole thing. They don't specialize in anything. And oftentimes real estate investors will hire handymen to do their work. And when you deal with a handyman who doesn't have any processes, systems, anything like that whatsoever, they're just handyman. You get horrible results. Don't expect, so, yeah. don't expect a child to do a man's job. Yeah. No, this is, yeah, there's a difference. And I'm so glad you went there because I think people need to understand that and that, you know, you know, terms are used very loosely and, and especially a professional like yourself. I think it's very clear that we make the distinction of what is what, what is the cream of the crop and what is not. And I love what you said about people who have done business with for a long time for a reason who are getting big business, understand my value. And I love that you said that because then it makes you think, well, first of all, not all general contractors are created equal and contractors and GCs are not the same as tradesmen as well. And, and, and right. So we need to be very clear on that. And I think people use that interchangeably without understanding the quality of people's work mm-hmm. and a professional like you. And then you said something that I was going to ask you and you kind of threw me a, an alley-oop here niche. One thing I was going to ask you is as you were going into uh, you know, the general contract, general contract, uh, as a general contractor, excuse me, on the kind of work you're seeing, what kind of niches do may our listeners may not know of? Is it commercial? Is it residential? Like what kind of niche did you fall into? And is it like that? Or is it more of no Ruben, I'm a GC for no, no, no. you're absolutely yeah. right. Okay, it, got no, it. It, I, I told you it, in every business, you got to mm-hmm. niche it down. And that's where the nuggets and that's where the gold is. And so there are contractors out there that specialize in new construction. There are contractors, and then you could break it down even further. That constant, uh, there's got contractors that specialize in new construction in gas stations, in uh, banquet halls. Wow. Same thing with uh, there's general contractors that specialize in renovations, and there's specific renovations and the type of clientele that you do business with. You can do with the uh, you know the regular Joe Blow down the street, or you know with the real estate investors that are out there. You can specialize and be. There are general contractors out there that specialize and niche it down to only one particular segment of the consumer. Real estate investors is an example. I specialize as a general contractor. I specialize in dealing with exclusively real estate investors. And then once you have identified that niche, you cater your offering to those individuals. What drives uh, a real estate investor 
to 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 choose you versus somebody else. And so you got to figure all that stuff out. Now, was that now were you saying an example or were you speaking for yourself when you say you? I'm giving you I'm giving that as an example. Okay, so yeah. yeah, what did you end up picking and why? I kind of because of because of my relationship with these uh, real estate investors, I kind of chose that. But then my business also grew and evolved. So I, I, I not only now exclusively one niche, I've, I'm a number, uh, I'm several. And I also have. Well, yeah. And, and that's what happens when you get to, ah, I love you said that. Once you get to that level, right? I think people, it's, you, you look at successful entrepreneurs like yourself and you have multiple companies underneath that umbrella. You didn't start off with multiple companies and dividing your no. attention to many. That, you can't do that. You no, got to niche down first. Master one be, thing. Yeah, you can't be everything evolve. to everybody. You Absolutely. can't be everything to everybody. Yeah, you gotta say Bottom no. Line. You gotta no. say no. That's yeah. that's one of the things I've learned most yeah. recently is how to say no to business because if it's not in alignment with where you're going, and that's actually I think we had that conversation but Ruben, offline. But but Ruben, in the early days, it was difficult to say that. It's difficult to figure out because it, you got yeah. bills to pay. Now, and and it's still these. difficult now. You know what? It's, sure. it's funny. It's still difficult when the money is good because I think psychologically, and this is the thing I just had this conversation with my, my buddy yesterday in his business. I think psychologically, even when you're looking to make a shift and you're looking to go premium or you're looking to go niche, it's so hard psychologically. I think no matter how good you have it. Now, imagine when you don't got it and you got to feed your family. That's very different to say no. But I do believe now this is something that I've, I think probably one of my, my realizations in, in this year is when you say no, you then open up the opportunity for the thing that you're looking for. When you say yes, now you're busy with that. Maybe you're busy with that clientele and that clientele refers you people that maybe you don't want to work with, but you can't say no. Now you're in too deep. Now you have more experience than I do. Uh, so I, I would love to hear if you resonate with that at all. Oh, absolutely. Feel- Listen, I, absolutely. <laughs> a- absolutely. Although I will say that it's, it takes really a lot of strength to be able to make to say that no, but it's uh, in my experience and what I have seen and talking to others is amazing how universe God works when you're able to get it down and you pull away and you create the, the, a void, how universe God fills that void of what you're looking for. And so, yes, it's, but at the same time, it's very difficult because again, if you are struggling and you're trying to accomplish something and you know that the direction, you know, you see, you can see where the direction of your business should be going, your life should be going, but you have this temptation of just taking on because you got bills to pay. I can understand. And I, I understand the, the frustration and, and the temptation to go down the direction to be everything to everybody. Cause you got bills to pay. But if you can resist that, if you can just stay on the path and have, you know, have that goal and have that vision of where you want to be and create that, uh, that void, it'll be filled with what you're looking for. Hmm. There's something that I, I came across uh, that I'm going to share with you. I'm pretty sure you've heard of uh, is a quote, I believe, from that Tony Robbins. It's, uh, it's uh, something along the lines of there's two things that causes action. It's either um, anxiety or inspiration. Hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. If, if you're a desperation and uh, inspiration, those are, if you're you to be able to act, for you to able to act and be able to make, take the step, take a step forward in life, you, you have to either be inspired or you got to be desperate. If that, and so that's sort of, it's, it's, I, you know, I heard that. And I was like, wow, that's yeah, man. It makes a lot of sense because out of desperation, it's amazing what we can accomplish. Out of inspiration, it's amazing. Hope, uh, how powerful it is. Is there anything more powerful? Love, and then hope. 
Jeez, that's that's good stuff, and I, I I'm still trying to soak it in. I I love how these core values continue to come back as we have these conversations in the lab because it's the formula is the same. I think no matter what you apply it to it, it it's just it's just, it's just so fascinating to to hear these these same you know the the secrets are there if you listen. And I love what you said about the universe too because I know that's a thing. Uh, I you know you guys are gonna kill me because I can't think of the actor, but I believe there was an actor who the agent. He was, I'm talking about, I don't know if this was Kevin Hart or someone else. It may have been Kevin Hart. I think so, maybe, but don't quote me on it, guys. Um, and his agent said, we had this deal come in. It was something like when he was really struggling. It was like 40000 or something, and I turned it down. And he's like, how could you? I, like, I'm, I'm literally, like, eating meal to meal. Like, this is, how could you turn that down? And it was because his agent saw something bigger in him than just that he said no and the next deal was like a million or something it was just ridiculous like right. you're talking about a huge leap and i think that's just important and i know that can be a little bit okay ruben that's that's way out there but the principles are the same right whether you know knowing what direction you want uh kind of attracting the people whether it was in, in the 80s or today being the, in the circle that you want to be in over delivering referral business, long-term business, niching down, then going broad later, having that luxury. I love it. I love it, Van. And this is why I love having guys like you here just to be able to talk about it, but be about it as well. All right, listen, I, I, and, and I, like you, I, you touched on this, something that uh, I, I totally agree with. Uh, I have talked to people who have achieved great successes in their life and all of our stories might be unique. They're all also the same. In that we all have, and I'm sure that in your interview and talking to people that have achieved some success in their life, they've gone through the same processes and have established, you know, these systems and things that, and they've gotten to where they are today. Absolutely. So again, you're really good at segueing out of these things that, you know, you gotta, you, know, you should, I don't know, we've got to talk about this offline about, I don't know, do you have your own show? <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I'm not, uh, there's got to be, uh, I, I, God bless all of you guys who do these podcasts. I'm like, cause I know it's a lot of effort and work. So I try to, I, I like being Gus, but I don't, I'm not into doing one myself. Well, listen, you're helping me out here. You could be my co-host. You said a keyword process and systems. Uh, I want to talk about something you're very passionate about now and you've evolved in, in your career and we could be here, you know, you've done so much. It's just very admirable. But now one thing you're really tapping into where you're able to find your fulfillment is helping people. And you and I talked about and helping people with, you know, their renovations, their own renovations. And obviously who is more qualified? I don't think there isn't anybody more qualified than you are to be able to kind of walk them through that. Um, you talked about, you know, investors and, and you and I were talking about offline of maybe it's that, uh, you know, it's, it's someone who's looking to do a cosmetic rehab and, and, you know, they're sick and tired of maybe having to deal with someone who's not as, as qualified as you are to help them get through the process because they don't have access to somebody yet like you. And so now you're looking to kind of give them the tools and add it to the tool belt or like what I would call in the lab resources, test tubes, so to speak. So what processes and systems, what are people for, for in that in that genre, in that category, what are they missing? Uh, I think we may, we kind of opened it up with that conversation, but let's talk about processes and systems that you bring to the table. What are most people missing from a process and system standpoint? Sure. I, well, over the 30 years, over 30 years of doing this, you have to develop some type of a process or systems in order to be able to be successful and also be able to scale. 
And so one of the things that's a miss with real estate investors, and I want to niche it down to talking about real estate investors and not just your person who just bought a house is looking to do a little, uh, do a renovation. We're talking about investors who want to do this for sake of creating an investment portfolio for profit. So uh, it's fun. One of the first things that folks sort of miss in that process is that they need to establish clear, a goal associated with this particular renovation project, this rehab. Mm. And if it's, it, it all, it depends on the type of product and what it is that you're looking to accomplish with this property. If it's a rental property and you're looking to drive $1,200 a month, or if you're looking to flip a property, you're looking to make $30,000, $50,000, that's great. Write it down because everything associated with that renovation rehab needs to flow through that goal. And we take whatever steps, actions necessary to get us to that goal. So establishing a clear, defined goal is important. But we also need to go out in the marketplace and validate that goal because mm. it's nice. It's very nice for us to want $1,200 a month in rent. Yeah. But the market might tell you that because of your particular property and location, you can only get $800. It'd be nice if we want to make $200,000 on the flip. But the market will tell you that it's not. So you've got to get out there in the marketplace and do your due diligence, which I find a lot of, a lot of these newbies, young folks don't want to do because it requires effort and work. And there's only so much that you can do off the internet. You actually have to hop in your car and travel the neighborhood. You need to go visit these properties that are up for sale or for rent to understand what is it that these properties have that you need to incorporate within your renovation. And what are the expectations or the goals that you can establish there that you can reach? You yeah. got to validate that goal. So if I'm looking to generate uh, uh, $50,000 on a flip, what do I need to do the property based on past sales or comparables that are existing in the marketplace? What do I have to do to my property? On a rental that I want to get $1,200 a month, do I need to add a dishwasher? Do I need to add a tennis court? Do I need the paint department? Do I need to finish the basement? Do as the square footage the same versus what my property? These are off information you gotta you gotta pull out and you gotta figure it out. And then once you've been able to get that, you've got a good understanding of your marketplace and your property, then you move into the next uh, step, which is then you create a, a list that I call needs and wants list. And what it essentially is, you do an inventory of the property, you grab a sheet of paper and you put a line right down the middle and one side is needs and the other side is wants. Mm. And then the needs side, whatever is required, if you've got a, a broken window that's letting in the elements, you got to replace that, that's a need. If you got a wind, if you got a foundation that's leaking, water's coming in, that's a need. It has to be repaired. But other things such as you know the color of the cabinetry in the kitchen, light fixtures, carpeting, hardwood color, what, those types of things, unless they are a trip hazard, unless there's some sort of you know, situation that are going to cause harm to you, those are put under the wants category. And the reason why we separate these two is that the next phase is we got to establish how much money we have in the kitty to be able to put toward this renovation because we can want the moon, the stars in the sky, but we need to find a dollars to be able to contribute to be able to make this renovation happen. So if I know that I only have $30,000 in my budget, then my choices of what I'm going to put into this property on the needs and wants list, I'm first going to go through my needs and then I'm going to go into the want side if there's any more money left in the budget. Mm. How do we establish a budget? Well, I mean, there's monies that we have cash-wise in our account. 
There's lines of credit. There's lots of opportunities, hard money lenders. There's lots of opportunities out there that a lot of folks are not exposed to. Even if you're a real estate investor, you don't understand. And that's where a seasoned veteran like myself can help people and determine you're finding where you know, there's municipalities sometimes that have money to give out to. Give, give it, give, give us one, since you're in the lab here with us, give us one that like is often, often very overlooked that you've used and that you think, oh man, people overlook this one and they don't even know it exists. Every, like, uh, I, like one recent that I, that I talked about and I'll share with you is uh, I get a notice from the municipality that says, hey, you know, uh, your, your property uh, is in a floodplain and we want you to do everything you can to save us, you know, to be able to combat that. So we will give you money to upgrade all of your foundation, weeping tiles and uh, all your piping through, uh, on that particular property. And so this is something that costs seven, ten, twelve thousand dollars why wouldn't I take advantage of that? And, and, and then improvement raise the value of my property. Ooh, and that came is, free. Is that, a, something you gotta, is that something you got to seek out? I'm sure, assuming. of course. You got to, yeah. you got to, but you got to be exposed to, you got to be exposed to the process to understand that this is something that you should, you know, check off your list. You need to go into and look into. There's opportunities on the federal, from the federal government, as well as from the, your local government that you should look into because they are, you'd be amazed how many efforts there are to make your home more energy efficient that you should take advantage of. I take advantage of upgrading my buildings to, at the time, commercial, uh, to these compact fluorescent tubes. You know, those, you remember those uh, yeah. light bulbs with the spur squirrel, the squirrels? Absolutely, absolutely. I bought those 15 years ago. Uh, I didn't buy them. I got them for free from the government. I upgraded everything. So I ended up saving electricity. And I also got a light bulb down last, you know, 10 times longer. Now that technology has been, has evolved to LED lighting. Right, There's right. also another government program that says, hey, change the light bulbs in your particular property and we'll give them to you for free. We'll give you, we'll give is you, it help you. Is that like a grant that you take or is that uh, like a write-off? Usually, usually how it works is that you will uh, submit an application. They will approve your application. You go get the work done by a uh, bona fide contractor or trace person. You get a sign-off, they verify it, and then they give you back your money. So you pay the trace person and then you get you, and they send you a refund check. Beautiful stuff. And you can prove <laughs> the property. So why wouldn't I take advantage of that? And it's, and it's amazing how often you look at the statistics of people who take advantage of the, the of the of these programs, and it's staggering how low they are. They're, oh, yeah. they're out there, but then nobody yeah. wants to take advantage of them. It, same with uh, opportunity zones. I mean, there's just a lot uh, when it comes to that. Um, yeah. The real, the real big granddaddy of them all is. Uh, is the is creating uh once you've got all gone through that whole process is then you need to create a detailed scope of work and it's actually a document that you've got to put together and you got to spend time on identifying all the decisions and issues and things that you want to accomplish within that renovation you got to put it in this document i am a general contractor that dabbles in the commercial side as well as on a residential side i i i i and, and it's amazing on the commercial side, there isn't a project that I've seen that of substantial merit that doesn't have a scope of work created, a document that gives yeah. you a blow-by-blow -blow account of pictures, diagrams, things that need to be done in that project. Yeah. But on the renovate, on the residential side, you know, 95% of the projects out there don't have anything like that. So folks who don't have something like that, but they want to get something done, but they don't have something in writing, how is it? 
You're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. How is it that you can go reach out to contractors and tradespeople and say, I want a renovation to occur when you yourself are not sure or know what it is that you want? And there isn't a contractor or trace person that I know of, including me, that has a way to be able to crawl into your brain and pull out that matter, that information out of you. Well, yeah, no one's doing it for you at whatever price you're giving them. That's, that's, <laughs> that's one thing, right? Uh, I, I love that you're giving us some, some tactical and practical advice that, you know, one can listen to and apply because I love how you said, we talked about this, you know, you're separating yourself from the pack you know, niching and all that. We've talked about it on the end from the general contractor, but now on the investors, to your investors listening is, you know, you heard what Van said. He's on, he, he sees both sides. And one way you can separate yourself and have those firms calling you back is to do the extra work. And I know I'm sure that after we talk, Van, you got to, you're going to have to, uh, I know Van, you're looking to help people one-on-one, -on -one, but this is something I'm, I'm very curious to talk to you about because when it comes to having a framework and SOPs and scope of work, being able to help people put something together like that, I mean, that's that's a game changer. And I know that the industry needs something like that. Um, I totally agree with you, though, because unfortunately, if you were to go out there and do a Google search of what's out there, uh, there's so much misinformation and so generalized information that that scope of work, with all due respect, you can wipe your rear end with. It just doesn't have just doesn't hold water. It just doesn't get you over the hunt to be able to, you know, efficiently carry out a renovation where everything is uh, on time, on budget, and you got control over your whole project. Yeah. Wow. So one thing I want to ask you about in, in right before is, is, you know, you've done the, the renovations and you've done the new construction uh, as well. Which one would you rather do uh, and which one takes the most of work? Uh, renovations take the most amount of work and effort because always there's an element of the unknown. Mm. Uh, whether that's on the commercial side or residential side, renovations are always the most difficult and problematic. It's really, for me, easy peasy to put up a, a single family home or a 20 story apartment building. There are systems in there and, and everything is everything is laid out. You have surveyors, you have everything banged out, where the electrical box is supposed to go, where what everybody's role is within that process. On the renovation side, and I have renovated not only residential, obviously, homes, single family homes, but I've also renovated substantial buildings that are, you know, that, that apartment buildings that are 100 years old that can't be knocked down, they have to be restored. And it is a, the amount of things, problem solved that you have to endure and deal with on those types of projects is a lot more dramatic. There's a lot more effort, a lot of work more associated with that versus new construction. So me who likes to tinker, who likes to dabble and do that and play with, like I like, uh, I, I'm, I'm into like doing the, the renovation stuff. Like I love, like, there was a particular project recently where it was a 90 some odd year old apartment building that was being restored. It was 40 it was like 44 or 48 unit building. It was, it was, it was a substantial amount of money, the total gut job, but it was really uh, fun and it cool to deal with all the problems and issues that you had to deal with. Sometimes you'd have to pull your hair out, but there was other times it was just really cool to be able to accomplish to solve a problem. I'm, a, I'm into, I'm into problem solving. Yeah, you're, you, you mentioned that it's like a puzzle, right? Like being yeah. able to see the puzzle. Oh man. Oh, geez. I mean, first of all, I can't thank you enough, Van, for overstaying your time here. Uh, one thing I got to ask you before you drop is, you know, you've done subdivisions, you, you, you've done 
uh, acquiring land. And I love how it kind of happened as you problem solved, right? And, and you said the keyword, which I love is natural progression. Uh, you know, one thing I'm curious about as to where you're at now, when we fast forward, we saw the beginning, where you're at right now, what is your favorite, uh, you know, investment tool or, and when I say that, let me be more specific, uh, asset type within this thousand unit yeah. plus of work that you've done and, 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 and own and control, et cetera. Um, I really, I, I, all of, I love, I love all of them equally. I, I, I they're your babies. Like, they're your babies. You can't, yeah, like I, 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 I'm still marveled by how a single family home is put together to that 18 story building that I own. So, hmm. but I will, if I had a choice, if I had to make a choice between them, uh, I would, I would probably defer to multifamily and, um, I, I, I just, uh, you know, the economies of scale, the actual structure itself, I, 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 yeah, I, my preference would be uh, multifamily, but it's, you know, we're getting into a situation right now, Ruben, where uh, cap rates are so compressed where you have now the stampede of, of the New York types and, you know, the investment bankers and the funds going into not only multifamily, but into the mom, papa of multifamily, you know, the oh, six really? to eight, 12 unit, 18 units, they're even going into creating portfolio of the single family homes. Why, why is that? Uh, you, one of the primary reasons why is that you have pension plans and you have uh, investment funds that are mandated to generate X amount of dollars per year in return for their investors. And because they're not allowed to be as speculative to go into the stock market and make investments there, they're forced to go look at other investment vehicles that are considered not as risky. So based of, uh, used to be that they could get their minimum three, 5% return on their fund from just making investments in the US bond, doing mortgages, stuff like that. But those types of fixed income kind of mortgage, the interest rates are pretty low. And so as a result, they are scrambling, trying to find assets, trying to find vehicles that will uh -huh. generate them more uh, return of, uh, on, their, on their money because uh, that uh, opportunity to go into the you know, municipal bonds and stock market, I mean, not stock market, municipal bonds and government bonds, that opportunity doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense for them anymore. Yo. So there are more and more of them are migrating and they're literally buying streets up and you know, creating rental portfolios. That is happening right now. And it won't be until interest rates were to climb up where these guys will say, okay, maybe it's worthwhile for me to go back into whatever they're doing in the past, but it could be that they're here to stay. I'm curious, Van, what do you think, what are your thoughts on this as we've seen the economy shift a little bit, even with virtual, you know, uh, even employees allowing their folks to work from home and commercial offices now even kind of, you know, uh, I guess um, sizing down, what's the word I want to use? Downsizing. Kind of downsizing, right? So do you think that's also part of it now that the commercial kind of sector also has been hit where, uh, and, and I know that there's a super connected, you talk about warehouses with, you know, you got the Amazons of the world, that's always going to be there. Um, but do you think that has a part of something to do with it? When you look at some of the States like New York, California, et cetera, where people are fleeing away from the taxes they're going down to the South and et cetera, like all these things, is that something you've seen as a thing or is that 
there's just so many nuances that that could be it. And Ruben, that's really not it. I'm curious. No, I, I think that, um, I think that it's just uh, specific to the geographical area. And mm -hmm. I think just overall, I think uh, that we've seen a slide in commercial in particular on the retail side and office space. But I think the, all of those elements are going to return back if they haven't already and roar because there's a lot of pent up demand that we have in, in you know, people, people are going to do, do things differently than they did before the pandemic. Like if I was to go, if I was a type that went out to a restaurant once a month, I'm going to, after this, all the dust settles, I'm going to appreciate going to a restaurant. I'm going to go more often to a restaurant. I'm going to be inclined to go more often and spend money on, 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 on you know, the luxuries that we got to we kind of take, we, we took it granted for. And so I think those, all of those types of things are going to return back. If not, uh, I'm not and are going to actually, yeah, I, I wouldn't like, I, I would, I would, I would probably go run into, I would look at buying restaurants and I would look at buying office buildings. If there is an opportunity, that's my take on it. Really? That's very interesting. interesting. I think there's going to be a snapback and you'll be amazed at how far it'll snap back. Cause I think I, although there will be a shift toward businesses trying to uh, drive some benefits to having their employees work out of home and employees will want to work out of home. There are just some things for the most part that can't be done at home that you need to have that. You have, need to have that nucleus. You need to have that work environment, not only to spur people to, to work, but also to create that camaraderie and be able to work as one unit, move things forward. It's difficult. It's discombobulated. How much? How can you can you imagine the value of this uh, this interview if it was face to face yeah. versus us doing this virtually? Yeah. Definitely great. It's great technology. It's wonderful, but there's a different experience. There's a level different. There's the nuances of our faces, stuff like that, can't be captured through this medium. But by virtue of me having you next to me physically, you can gather that, and there's it's much more intimate, and there's a lot more that can be accomplished, I believe, in that kind of a setting versus what we have right now. Well said. Well, with that said, I'll tell you what, when we open up the studio live, we'll definitely make sure. And we talked about this offline that, you, you know, you got Toronto, you got Miami. So I know in Chicago. So I know that somewhere will we'll, we'll definitely be in close proximity, especially because I'll probably find myself in Toronto. So that's you said it. You said it on the air. We'll have to make that happen in person live. Uh, but but before you you, you part and, and I would love for you to, you know, if there's any uh you know, like I said, when I opened up the show with you is you're, you're a great embodiment of, of being an experimenter and then kind of really narrowing focus and doubling down and going, excelling at your craft, being successful and, and with it, what you're doing with putting your mind set to it and then going broad and building a lot of different businesses with it. So that's phenomenal. Uh, is if there's one, uh, you know, lesson that sticks out at you, whether it was a specific point, whether it's now in your career or a midpoint sometime, uh, you know, when you were getting by and you're looking to make those, uh, those leaps, is there any, any lesson that sticks in mind that, you know, you wish maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you would have come maybe implemented on the earlier side? Is there something that jumps out at you? There's a lot of things that jump out at me, and I've been fortunate. There's been certain junctures along my life path that I've come to that through the grace of God, the universe, uh, I was able to go one direction versus another. And there were certain at those certain junctures, there was a there, there was a uh, some something led me to go the direction I did. Um, part of that whole journey, I think that folks need to appreciate is that it's 
if you want to get from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow, that I, you could go out there and trial and error and, and, and try to figure it out on your own. But I'm a real strong proponent. And everybody I seem to talk to that has accomplished something of, of merit, who's been successful, been able to reach their goals, have had some type of coaching, some type of mentorship that's been able to take them by the hand and navigate them through these treacherous waters of life and got them to a promised land. And I'm a strong proponent. I've spent a lot of money in it. And we talked offline, you have too. And I think that a lot of folks need to appreciate that this is coming from successful people who've, been, who've done this. Maybe they should too. There's some, you know, it's like, I use this analogy all the time and I'll use it on your, on your, on your, with this, on this interview. It's like trying to learn how to play a guitar. If you want to learn how to play the guitar, there's lots of information out there on the internet, YouTube, and you can buy books and you can sit there, read them and watch all the videos. And, you know, you can muddle through and try to kind of figure it out on your own. It'll take you a lot of times. You can make a lot of mistakes, but you'll figure it out. Versus me hiring a music teacher that sits right beside me shows me how to hold the guitar, how to strum the guitar, slaps me upside the head if I make a mistake. Is where, What is the value of that? And being able to get me from point A to wherever that point is in life, and having that person be able to provide me, is, is there some, what's the value of that? I think it's tremendous. And, I, and if there's ever an opportunity for me to be able to find an individual that can grab me by the hand and take me to a place, it's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me money. But uh, what about the return if I can get quicker to that and you know to the to my goal? And what about in the process of me trying to figure it out? Let's say with through those YouTube videos and books that I've read, somehow along that way I make a mistake. In real estate, as an example, and all pretty much walks in life, there's a lot of things that you can do along the way that you can make a mistake that can be devastating. There's a reason why Ruben right now people drive around in their neighborhoods where they live and they see a garbage dumpster in front of their house, and I'm sorry, in front of a house in their neighborhood, and it's been there for six, seven, eight months. I could build a house in three or four months, a brand new house, but there's renovations that are undergoing. They're sitting there for six, seven, eight months. Why? It's because somebody doesn't know what they're doing. And they're oftentimes they're caught in a situation where they are strapped out financially. And in some cases, they are ruined financially because they made a misstep along the way. And so now if you have a trusted advisor beside you that can navigate you away from making that mistake, isn't that, what's, the, what's the value in that? I think it's, I, I sign me up. I'm that guy. And I know yeah. you are too. Sign me up. I'll dish out the cash. I don't want, I want to be able to sleep all night knowing that I have somebody who's going to take me from where I am today, where I want to be tomorrow. Mm. Wow. That's phenomenal. So to all of our listeners, you know, Van, you know, I know that, you know, vansturgeon.com is one of your resources, but in, I do want to make sure that I give you the an opportunity to uh, give our listeners an opportunity to find out how they can more connect with you. I don't right now in, in the success that you have uh, one way you're finding fulfillment is, is to, to being able to, to help others go through that process that you talked about that you see so often where people are either being misguided or they don't have the right, you know, uh, information to do their own renovations or to work with someone who does. So with that said, uh, you know, as far as the call to action goes, where can people, you know, kind of tap into or where can we find out more about you to, to get a chance to work with you if you want well, to? It, uh, I appreciate that. Well, it starts with going on my website, uh, vansturgeon.com. And uh, it, there's a chop full of uh, videos, podcasts I've been on, articles that I've published. 
ebooks that I've written. There's a lot of great content over there that will be able to guide you in the right direction to be to to how to set up your real estate. Uh, you know, the, learn the systems and processes in being able to establish a successful real estate portfolio. And part of that is learning the skill set of how to plan and manage your own renovation. Because as a real estate investor, we're always looking to buy a great deal. And I don't know of any great deals that come with a bow tie on them. All the great deals I come across are ugly ducklings, diamonds in a rough. They need a lot of work and renovations and rehabbing. And so if I need as a skill set, you need a, 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 you need, in order to be successful, you need to have a skill set that only finds a great deal, but also knows how to plan and manage those renovations. It's, it's critical. You, how can you determine a great deal if you can't put a dollar value or the time associated with, a, with what work is needed on a property? So go, I welcome people to go on my website. There's lots of information to be able to help them out. In addition to, I, I'm, uh, I'm on social media, Facebook, reach out to me. I love engaging people, help people out. This is what I, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I do. Absolutely. We certainly will enjoy that. If you're listening and you're driving, keep your hands on a wheel. We'll include that in the show notes, of course. Uh, Van, we cannot thank you enough for stepping to the lab. And I got to ask you this right before you drop. Toronto, Miami, Chicago, are you, it, which you got to pick one. Which one is it? The one born and raised or what? What's the what's the Toronto and Miami situation uh, looking like? You know, Chicago, Chicago is always going to be uh, uh, in my heart. But hey, you know what? I hate those winners, though. <laughs> I love that Miami. <laughs> Uh, that's the reason why no. I'm down there, man. I I, yeah, man. I love my Chicago, but I tell you, when it when it's minus twenty degrees or whatever the hell the weather is, God, that Miami feels so so good. You know, there you go. I, so you know where to find, you know, in Q4 and of quote Q4, you know where to find Van. He's gonna run away from uh, maybe a <laughs> snowbird and run away in that. I don't blame him. That's why I go to Atlanta as well. But uh, we'll have to make that U-turn and also make our way to Florida and, and connect. But thank you so much for stepping to the lab. And just like that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time at Invested Talent we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right, our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. 
If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.